This is the Northern Miner Podcast, and I am your host, Matthew Keevil. And I have returned from a brief academic pilgrimage. Um, <laughs> pause for dramatic effect. Uh, those who know me or listen to the show regularly uh, may recall that I am in the midst of completing my master's degree in uh, general, gi- digital journalism and media studies. Uh, so I just had to jet over to Victoria briefly to uh, complete some classwork. It was my final residency period before my degree is complete. Uh, so I'm about eight months out, I think. So coming down that home stretch. Uh, it was a lot of work. It was, uh, it's great to be back though. And we are back in studio. So you can expect our regularly scheduled podcast to start rolling out again. I believe Leslie should be in studio this week for the geology corner. Um, so we're looking to get back in action. Um, but yeah, so, uh, one of the things I just wanted to mention is, uh, during the, uh, during my little, uh, sabbatical there, my academic sabbatical, um, I flew back on November 17th to MC the CIM student night in Vancouver. And that was great experience. I met some of you who are loyal listeners of the podcast, which was great. We had a good time. We talked about some cool stuff. Um, and yeah, it was great to meet students from BCIT, SFU and UBC. Uh, it was a really fun event. Uh, and I look forward to it next year as well. So thanks again to the CIM for inviting me to do that. Um, some other quick updates. Uh, as my program is relatively associated with digital journalism, as previously mentioned, uh, I'll bring some new. I'm bringing some new skills back every time I go to some of these classes. I worked on a documentary film crew for a couple nights. Um, so as we mentioned or hinted at previously, we are looking to move towards uh, introducing more video content in the new year. Uh, and that includes um, uh, content for our YouTube channel, etc. Um, so I've been working with the cameras, getting all my video production skills buffed up, uh, working on those f-stops and the white balances and the shutter speeds and all that fun stuff. Uh, so as we move forward, I'm hoping, uh, hoping we can uh, get that moving at a, a, a quick clip and uh, start getting content out for you guys uh, in terms of video. Um, and and uh, there's a few other skills coming along with digital journalism, so I'll be working uh, working them into the podcast, uh, seeing if we can't get uh, just a, a wider variety of content for all our loyal listeners, readers, and hopefully eventually viewers. Um, but yeah, so I have been pretty much off the, well, not off the grid, but fairly dis, uh, not following the business as much as I've been buried in uh, coursework and readings and stuff like that. And in the interim, a lot of insane things have happened. I should, maybe insane is the wrong adjective, but but some some unexpected things. A Trump presidency, uh, gold reacting in a very <laughs> unpredictable way to said Trump presidency. A rally in iron ore and met coal that has continued with, uh, I believe, the last time I checked, iron ore prices were at $77 per ton. Um, and met coal has continued to uh, be relatively, uh, to surge relatively well. Same with zinc, which is uh, above the levels I would have expected. Meanwhile, gold remains well under $1,200 per ounce. And we expect that to uh, be pretty much the norm moving through the new year. Uh, a lot of what I've been reading as I've gotten back into my market uh, market perusals each morning uh, is that the U.S. Uh, ec- economic data should continue to be relatively rosy, and we should expect a federal rate hike in December. This Well, not quite this month, almost. This is our episode for the week of November 27th, by the way. So uh, we uh, don't have too much planned for this week. I just wanted to touch base with everybody and say, we are here. We didn't vanish. Um, it's just that, uh, yeah, I've had to uh, had to deal with school for the last couple of weeks, so it's been a bit of a, uh, bit of a crazy run for me. Um, and so as mentioned, we will get uh, everything rolling as par for the course for our podcast coming up uh, in the next week or so. We'll get everybody back in action. Uh, I'm going to be touching base with a few of our guests. 
Uh, hopefully get Mickey Fulp on. Um, I do actually have a little bit of a speech from Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights that I picked up before I left. Um, it was at the Metal Investors Forum here in Vancouver, and Joe talks about some cool stuff involving majors, M&A markets, valuations, and where sort of he sees the markets sitting uh, as we speak right now. So what I'm going to do is uh, I'll, uh, I'll roll that towards the end of the show and just kind of use it as sort of uh, not as not a filler because it's full of great information but just something that we can roll as uh, we're getting back up to speed here and getting some more of our guests coming in um, so we're hoping to get more uh, more more contributed content as we move forward here uh, it's something we're really excited about at the northern Meyer is really um, sort of increasing the uh, our user experience I don't want to say users like but you can't really say readers anymore and it's hard to say viewers or listeners uh, but we want we want all those things so it's it's something that we're looking at uh, at really mobilizing as we move forward here and we're really excited about it um, so yeah so that's kind of I just wanted to uh, give a little bit of an update on on where I've been uh, and what we've been up to um, of course that will uh, that will uh, be back to no- uh, things will be back to normal as we move ahead here I'm uh, should be back in town for uh, the foreseeable future, I believe, um, and we'll no longer have a uh, virtual avalanche of studies <laughs> to uh, to uh, occupy my time. One other thing I did want to mention before I uh, I, I say a uh, do a do for this week um, is you might want to uh, surf by a website called Clear Creek Digital. Um, I had a bit of a, uh, an interview. I, I got interviewed this time, which is not what I'm used to. Um, but uh, with uh, Trevor Hall from Clear Creek Digital, we talked a little bit about um, podcasting and what it's done for the brand um, and sort of uh, how uh, maybe not just the media, but mining companies can adopt uh, new mediums and forms of media uh, to, uh, you know, whether, whether it be for marketing or corporate social responsibility or stakeholder relations, how they can work in some of these new technologies and forms of um, content production to better themselves as corporate communicators. Um, so that's a cool one. So head over to uh, Clear Creek Digital uh, it, uh, and check out some of Trevor Hall's stuff. He uh, He's writing on social media and mining and uh, how you can use some of the new marketing techniques um, in uh, in terms of corporate comms. So that's that was a really cool interview. He wrote up a blog with some of my comments on my experiences uh, producing this podcast and, and how it's evolved uh, since we started roughly 40 episodes ago, which seems oh, like in February. I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, time does fly. Um, but yeah, so that's just me. I just wanted to check in, give a, uh, Northern minor podcast state of the union here. I am back in action. So you can expect, uh, our regularly scheduled podcast moving forward. Uh, but for now I'm going to run uh, a little bit of a, a talk that I attended, uh, Joe Mazumdar gave, uh, this was a roughly two weeks ago before I headed out of town. Um, but it is remains very topical. Um, and as usual, Joe is full of really uh, interesting tidbits in terms of valuations and, uh, some of the market uh, market observations he makes having uh, experience working with majors and, and, and things in the past. Um, so yeah, I will roll that right now um, and that will sort of wrap up our show for the week, but you could totally expect a normal, uh, well not normal, we're never normal here, but a, a more uh, uh, a typical Northern Miner f- podcast format next week. Um, so Leslie will be back hopefully and we'll all be, uh, we'll all be rolling and uh, hopefully we'll get a guest in there. I'm going to try to uh, grab Mickey Fulp as I believe he's in Vancouver right now. Um, so yeah, so this has been Matthew Kiva with the Northern Miner Podcast. Please enjoy this little um, little uh, address by Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. This was at the Metal Investors Forum in BC uh, in mid-November. All right, guys, I'll talk to you next week. This is from a friend of mine who's now the chief economist for New Model. We worked together when I was there. Um, borrowed and stole some of the slides, but I don't know what to do. But right now, we are forecasting when 
right now, a 1% compound annual growth rate in production declines, not unlike what we saw in the 2000s. And granted, you know, we could say that, and a big company would want to say that, because they want to show that, hey, I'm not growing, but hey, look, nobody else is growing either. But then when you look at it and break it down, go for it. You know, did the slide about all the reserves for these major companies, and basically they dropped 15% in a couple of years. So that's telling. If you don't have a reserve base, uh, you know, you've got nothing to grow on. Right now, you're just replacing ounces who are running to stand still. So let's break down these big companies and see what's actually happening. So, Newmont had a drop of 8.5 million ounces. In the end of 2015, and when I worked for Newmont, there was an oil guy that was running it, and he was all about depletion of reserves. That's all he talked about: depletion of reserves. If you use them, get them back. And so now we're showing that we can't replete these reserves, especially a company that's got a reserve base of about 80 million ounces. And so, if you look at it, the entire drop was more like 17 and a half million. So you had six and a half from depletion, just from production. You've got three million ounces, and I'll show you this on the sensitivity, from the production drop, from taking it down to 1,200. And then the other thing is when you do these big projects that have big footprints and you end up with a social license to operate issue like Conga, that's six and a half million ounces you just dropped. That's part of 7.2. So again, 17 and a half million ounces, how do you offset that? You know, you do brownfields exploration, which I'll show you that's what they're doing here. They're not doing greenfield exploration, they're doing brownfield. That's a low risk win for them. So they added five million ounces from there. But then they had to acquire it. And they added four million ounces by buying a producer, the Cripple Creek uh, acid from Angle. So let's look at one more. So in terms of uh, Gold Corp, they actually depleted their reserves and technically they look like they're up 1.6 million ounces. But they've had to offset about 2.7 million ounces of a drop on production. But interestingly, the Gold Corp, they actually raised their gold price. They didn't lower it. They were already at about 1,100,000. It's already and they moved it up 200. So just the movement of $200 an ounce only gave them 1 million ounces. So they got that. But they really needed to acquire an asset to show that they were actually above and depleting reserves. And so they ended up getting coffee. And that added 2.2 million ounces of reserves to their balance sheet. <clears throat> so here's the issue. It's not marginal ounces. I don't need marginal ounces. If I change the gold price $200 an ounce, I can have 11 million ounces without acquiring them. I know where they are. Now, I've already put them in reserves before. So it's not challenging for me. So, what have we seen? So, because we're asking for, we've had debt issues. Uh, a lot of my uh, reserves are really high cost and don't make any sense. Uh, they don't work at 1200 I don't have the money to spend. I don't care about production growth anymore. So, we see a steep drop in development capital. So we've gone from $10 billion in about 2012 at the height down to $2 billion. And some of that capital is due to capital escalation that everybody wanted to do at the same time, but some of it just scope change. I don't have 
that many projects to build. I mean, sustaining capital dropped, but nowhere near as much as development. And then we see the drop in exploration expenditures. Whatever they're spending, we tend to spend more on brownfield than greenfield. Basically, Gold Corp said that they've cut their greenfield. 80% of new months, 200 million, which isn't a bad number, uh, is spent on brownfields. We would argue that the only way to find the quality deposits is really greenfield. So what have we seen? How is this translated into what's going on in the market? We've seen acquisitions of low-risk production in low uh, geopolitical risk jurisdictions. We saw Tahoe take Lakeshore. We saw Silver Standard do Claude. And then we were seeing development plays getting acquired like Gold Corp's Kamenak, Nessie Reservoir. Lately, we've seen more production, but this one might be debatable to see how November 23rd that vote goes. Now we see that gold fields and potentially uh, Silver Standard are looking to have made a, an offer for Kirkland. But right now that combination is Kirkland and Newmarket. Another one we saw this last week was gold fields again uh, come in for 50% of an open pit gold project in Western Australia. So what you'll see is a lot of district scale opportunity with some of these. You'll see low geopolitical risk, and some of them you'll see low risk with respect to production. They want to add these ounces, but they don't want to do a lot to add them. And as Nico's model in terms of M&A would always buy something that you could grow. So it looked like they paid a lot on a per ounce basis to acquire the asset, but then they knew or hoped that they could add to it. And so they required it from anywhere $43 to about $190 an ounce. But then they would add discovery ounces over and above what they thought they had at $16 to $50 an ounce. So growing an asset post-acquisition was important, and it's easier to do that with a district-scale play. So could that be what uh, Goldport thought of coffee? And then David Garofalo's asked at Nico, Kamenak's got a reserve, or had a reserve of coffee about 2.1 million ounces. He's thinking that that thing could be three to five times bigger. That's why he inquired it. So we talked about quality, but then what's the issue with geopolitical risk? Is it all that important? And what Nico would tell you it is. They say, hey, look at me, I'm on the left-hand side, I don't have very many risky assets, I'm in Canada, I'm in uh, <coughs> Scandinavia, I'm in all these places that aren't risky. But then we look at Centera on the other side, Kyrgyzstan, Kumatur, what are they trying to do? They're trying to acquire assets like get into Hard Rock in Northern Ontario. They're looking at uh, you know, the acquisition of Thompson Creek for the deposit in uh, British Columbia. They're looking to do joint ventures in Mexico. They're really trying to diversify their geopolitical risk. And El Dorado is in a similar position because a lot of their assets are in Greece and Turkey and also in Romania. But what's, what's absent here is the RAND goals, the African producers from this chart. Theoretically, most of them are geopolitical risk. This slide says that as important as geopolitical risk is to some investors, they will pay for fiscal discipline. So, Rand Gold has been one of the most uh, ardent 
confidence about fiscal discipline and including reserves at low gold prices, having an idea of what kind of open grades they thought made sense for them, and really having hurdle rates that they've invoked for the last decade. And so that, despite the fact that they've got assets in geopolitically risky jurisdictions like the DRC and Mali and you know, all of Africa, that they still traded a premium to a company that's got uh, I mean, uh, only 20% uh, in geopolitical risk areas. So how has the market adjusted over the last, let's say, 10, 11 months? So what I noticed from uh, Precious Metal Summit, they, uh, all the bankers are back, the uh, brokerage firms are back, the sell-side analysts are back, the, uh, the sales teams are back. And so I've never seen such a consolidated group effort over the past five years as I saw this last time. It was a real team effort in terms of the brokerage firms to, I don't want to say attack, but confront, help uh, the, uh, the companies. Companies that hadn't seen or heard from these people in the last few years. But a lot of this was driven by quality. They're looking for quality exploration projects. And so the corporate development teams as well were well represented. I saw a, a decent-sized team from Gold Corp, a huge team from Agnico, Nuance always well-represented, King Ross, all of them were there. So a lot more companies are worried now that they don't have quality assets now that they're looking for. The M&A, potentially, that we've shown you will be weighed against fiscal discipline. So we're not going to break the piggy bank here going forward, especially if they're asking for hurdle rates of 15% at gold prices of 1200 What we've seen over this period, obviously, even despite this last week, uh, junior miners still outperforming the gold price and underperforming. A high beta, almost five times. So and I'll also bring through some of the financing we've seen here today and who's getting funded. This will be quicker than so speed dating and the precious metal summit. So we saw a 60% increase in investors from the buy side go to that. 36% from the corporate side go. And some juniors that I talked to with, I mean, we'll create it out after about 10 cups of coffee, about 18 meetings in a row in one day. And when they meet one of these corporate development teams, they might meet eight people at the same time. So in terms of footprints and junior companies, what we've seen is a lot of them coming up. You know, Kinross, I mean, M&A strategy is they first look at the asset, whether the, uh, whether the acquisition is transactable, then if it's accretive, and then they look at jurisdictions. Some might put jurisdictions first. So Kinross has now got JDs and BC, Yukon, Northwest Territories, you can read them off, but all of them are doing joint ventures. Why? Because they cut grassroots, they don't have access to these district-scale land packages now because they cut a lot of them out. And so in the first quarter, what we were seeing was typical of what we see most years. We see the big finances. We see the cash-flowing precious metals companies. We see the streamers. We see all these guys getting financed first. So we have almost $4 billion of financings over $50 million in the first. Probably most of it was in the first quarter. And 
then in the 10 to 50 million dollar range, we saw about 900 million dollars. But now, if you look, here we're talking about cash flow producers, we're talking about royalties companies, we're talking about lower risk companies. But now, as we move forward, we're seeing gold developers, gold explorers, silver explorers and developers. So now we're moving upstream with respect to uh, the companies in high risk, and people are willing to take a punt on these guys. The financings aren't as much, but they're looking for a high return, granted with a high risk of gas. And then when we get to the really low, uh, less than 10 million, uh, which I guess now is not that low, um, gold explorers, gold developers, these kind of companies dominate. That's where a lot of the money's going. And so like I said, <coughs> the miners are providing the leverage. So even up to date right now, we're still looking at gold is up about 15%. The GDXJ, if you use that as a product, is up 80%. I mean, at one time, it was at 150 plus. <laughs> so in summary, which is good, because I got 50 seconds. So profitability over volume, if that's the new thesis. The issue is reserves are depleting faster than these guys can replace them. But is that important? The question is, can they replace these quality assets? That's what I think is more the issue, because they can replace marginal ounces. I think no matter what, production is set to decline. The drop in capital and balance sheets, more fiscal discipline is still going to be an issue going forward because, again, a lot of these guys still haven't got through their issues with debt. That drop in exploration, low-risk brownfield is still a favorable greenfield, and as we know that you need to have a decent greenfield budgeted program for over five years to generate this pipeline of quality assets, which these guys do not have. So hence we have the growing interest in junior explorers. So if you look at these junior explorers, I would say you want to see it from the point of view of the acquirer or the person that's doing the joint venture. They would like to grow the ounces post-acquisition, so a district scale play would be a better thing than somebody who's got a postage stamp. Mining friendly jurisdictions, and I say friendly and not little geopolitical risk because some of these guys are willing to go for grade if the place already has a mining history. They just want to know that they can work on it. And now junior companies are asked to present a little bit more de-risking than they were normally. We've had this issue just recently. So you might be growing in a fertile resource, but they might want to know about the metallurgy now. They might want some geotech now. They might want <coughs> a hydrology hold. Because the big companies want to eliminate that risk before they put in that fight. Okay, that's it for me. Moving on.